dear Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, for giving us the privilege of life. Once more, we are here again to fellowship with you and to add to ourselves materials that will build us up and prepare us for the great day of the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, dear Lord, as we come closer to the end of time, we realize our need and we pray that you would bless us now, equip us with your word, strengthen us, build us up. Help us, Lord, that all we are going to study today shall be an impetus for us to come closer to you, to be more like you, to drop our bad characters and become more like our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, grant to us the gift of your spirit and consecrate me to your service. Put your words in my mouth that the words spoken will bless everyone. In Jesus' name I've prayed. Amen. Courage, August 19. Jeremiah, God's mouthpiece. It is good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. Lamentations, chapter 3, verse 26. Among those who had hoped for a permanent spiritual revival, as the result of the reformation under Josiah was Jeremiah, called of God to the prophetic office while still a youth. In the youthful Jeremiah, God saw one who would be true to his trust and who would stand for the right against great opposition. Say not, I am a child, the Lord bade his chosen messenger, for thou shalt go to all that I shall send thee, and whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. Be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee to deliver thee. For forty years, Jeremiah was to stand before the nation as a witness for truth and righteousness. In a time of unparalleled apostasy, he was to exemplify in life and character the worship of the only true God. During the terrible sieges of Jerusalem, he was to be the mouthpiece of Jehovah. Naturally of a timid and shrinking disposition, Jeremiah longed for the peace and quiet of a life of retirement, where he need not witness the continued impenitence of his beloved nation. His heart was wrung with anguish over the ruin wrought by sin. The experiences through which Jeremiah passed in the days of his youth and also in later years of his ministry taught him the lesson that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. He learned to pray, O Lord, correct me. But with judgment, not in thine anger, lest thou bring me to nothing. Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 23 and 24. When called to drink of the cup of tribulation and sorrow, and when tempted in his misery to say, My strength and my hope is perished from the Lord, 
He recalled the providences of God in his behalf and triumphantly exclaimed, It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Therefore will I hope in him. Amen. The title of our devotion for today is Jeremiah, God's Mouthpiece. And we are looking at the connection of the prophets with respect to the history of the children of Israel. We have left off and saw Jonah. We also saw Isaiah. And then comes Jeremiah. The time between Isaiah and Jeremiah is actually large and a lot happened within that time. And I think it would do us well to understand the background that led to the ministry of this man called Jeremiah. While we understand the lesson that God wants us to be called as youths just as he called Jeremiah and we are to do work for him even while you are a youth it will be necessary for us to go back to understand the setting and the events that were taking place in the days of Jeremiah. What was it that led to it? Because Jeremiah suffered a lot. They call him the weeping prophet for a reason. Jeremiah was beaten, flogged, locked up in prison. He was giving messages to the people of Israel. They planned against him so many times to catch him with his words to smite him they beat him at a time when he tried to leave jerusalem and brought him and locked him up in a dungeon and gave him bread of sorrows in fact you can say he didn't eat what was it that led to the people of judah treating a prophet of god in this manner there was a time when jeremiah spoke and said lord i wish there was a place for wayfaring men where i'll just where i'll just go and stay so that i'll stop seeing my people what was it that led to all these events that happened to Jeremiah where he kept on crying, literally crying, weeping for the people of Judah and they treated him with such disdain, oppression and persecution. We need to understand what it was and that's why we'll have to go back from the days of Isaiah down to the days of Jeremiah. Isaiah, as we already saw, was a prophet that started his ministry in the days of Uzzah and after Uzzah, his son, Jotam, took the reins of authority. These two men, under their watch, Israel was doing well. But like we saw, the prosperity that Israel was passing through as in Judah, it brought them low. They started to practice iniquity. After Jotam came a certain king called Ahaz. You see, Ahaz, he stands out as one of the kings in Judah as a sore thumb. In the book of 2 Chronicles chapter 28, speaking of Ahaz, it says in verse 2, For he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel, and made also molten images for Baalim. Wherefore he burnt incense in the valley of the son of Hinnom, and burnt his children in the fire, after the abominations of the heathen, whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. He sacrificed also, and burnt incense into the high places, and on the hills, and under every green tree. Wherefore the Lord his God delivered him into the hand of the king of Syria, and they smote him, and carried away a great multitude of them 
captives and brought them to Damascus. And he was also delivered into the hand of the king of Israel, who smote him with a great slaughter. Take note, the king of Syria, first of all, his name is Rezin. Rezin had smitten this man Ahaz and took a great multitude of the children of Judah captive. Now, another king came, the king of Israel, his name is Pekah. Verse 6 says, For Pekah, the son of Remaliah, slew in Judah, listen now, an hundred and twenty thousand in one day, which were all valiant men because they had forsaken the Lord God of their fathers. Take note of these two men, Pekah and king of Syria. His name, like I said, is Rezin. We'll talk about them more in subsequent devotions. What happened to King Ahaz was a great plunder of Judah. 120,000 valiant men were slaughtered in just one day. His son, his prime minister, or his governor and his vice, like his chief advisor or his second in charge, were all slaughtered. And a whooping 200,000 women and children were taken captive. This had never happened in Judah since the days of Rehoboam. And even in Rehoboam's days, it was not this bad. There is a war taking place presently and even other wars have taken place like the one going on now between Russia and Ukraine. They have weapons. I mean, Russia has weapons. They have ICBMs, HIMARS, rocket launchers and many high caliber weapons. Yet, how many losses of lives do we hear in one day? It's in the range of maybe 600 to 1,000 and the reports tell us 200. Well, we know it's more than that. But compare that to 120,000 in a day. Many kings had come to Judah and they were unfaithful, and others faithful too. But Ahaz's unfaithfulness was on a different level. He, this king was different. He was mixed with great foolishness. God permitted this plunder of Judah, both by Israel, which took 120,000, remember? Syria had also done theirs. God permitted it because, like we read in Second Chronicles chapter 28, verse 6, that they had forsaken the Lord God of their fathers. That was why it was permitted. One would expect that this man would change his ways. But he was just not only a wicked king, but arguably the most foolish king in all Judah. Not even Manasseh was, I would say, as foolish as this. Because I'll tell you why. I said, one would expect him to repent at this time. But no, Ahaz was determined to have the record of being the both, both, the, one of the weak, most, most wicked and the most foolish ruler of Judah. This son of David disgraced himself and God's people. Look at what he did now. Second Chronicles chapter 28, reading from verse 16 says, And at that time did King Ahaz send unto the kings of Assyria to help him. For again, the Edomites, everybody's taking their turns. First of all, Syria. Next was Israel, now the Edomites had come and smitten Judah and carried away captives. Then what next? The Philistines also had invaded the cities of the low country and of the south of Judah and had taken Beth Shemesh and Ajalon and Gedorot and Shoko and hmm, with the villages thereof and Timnah with the villages thereof, Gimzu also and the villages thereof and they dwelt there. What is left for King Ahaz? For the Lord brought Judah low because of Ahaz, king of Israel. For he made Judah naked and transgressed sore against the Lord. And Tiglath-Pileser, we'll talk more about this man later, king of Syria, came unto him and distressed him. Sorry, and Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria. There's a difference between Assyria and Syria. King of Rez- king Rezin is of Syria, Tiglath-Pileser of Assyria came unto him 
and distressed him but strengthened him not. Remember, in verse 16, we read that Ahaz went to this same king and asked him, come and help me. The people are attacking me. But what did he do? He came and distressed him. For Ahaz took away a portion of the house of the Lord and out of the house of the king and of the princes and gave it unto the king of Assyria. But he helped him not. You see, Ahaz was still disappointed. But above all things about King Ahaz, one statement stands out for recognition. Second Chronicles 28 verse 22 says, And in the time of his distress did he trespass yet more against the Lord. This is that King Ahaz. For the Bible to record it, this is that King Ahaz. He is outstanding for foolishness. Ahaz, because of his reign, brought Judah so low that God forsook them. But the problem with Ahaz is that his foolishness knew no bounds. He kept on sinning against God and God was judging him more and more. He, he didn't even realize what he was. He kept on doing it over and over again. He couldn't understand the judgment of God. Verse 23 says, For he sacrificed unto the gods of Damascus which smote him. Do you know why? He said, because the gods of the kings of Syria, by the way, Damascus is the capital of Syria even till today, it says, because the gods of the kings of Syria help them, therefore I will sacrifice to them that they may help me. But they were the ruin of him and of all Israel. And he has gathered together the vessels of the house of God and cut in pieces the vessels of the house of God and shut up the doors of the house of the Lord and he made him altars in every corner of Jerusalem and in every several city of Judah, and he made high places to burn incense unto other gods, and provoked to anger the Lord God of his fathers. Now the acts, the rest of his acts and all of his ways, first and last, behold, they are written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. This is the end of the record of this man, that the Bible says this is that king Ahaz, outstanding for not just wickedness, but stupidity and foolishness. It was under this king that Isaiah and prophet Micah labored. He left Judah plundered, battered, and decimated because of his foolish disobedience to God. After King Ahaz, Hezekiah his son reigned after him. His days were good. And after he died, King Manasseh reigned. Now, that is the most wicked. I wouldn't say most foolish, but most wicked. Because Manasseh's case we will see is different. When God brought judgments on Manasseh, Manasseh repented. He was wise. But he has no constant battering, but yet constant deeper disobedience. With every time God judged him, he went deeper in disobedience. That's why I say, in my opinion, the most foolish king of Judah. You see, one would think that after the death of Ahaz and the installation of King Hezekiah, which we know was a good man, things will go well. But little by little, gradually, gradually, the project God intended to accomplish with Israel, which you saw in yesterday's devotion, since the day that he brought them out of Egypt, was taking a different turn altogether. They were fast determining their doom. Ahaz had so led Judah astray that it was almost certain that God would destroy Israel, but there was still a little hope. This hope was extinguished in the days of Manasseh, the son of Hezekiah, because Manasseh did great evil in the sight of God that God finally decided to teach Judah a severe lesson. They must go on exile. More on this in subsequent devotions. You see, after Manasseh came Josiah, who gave Israel a glimmer of hope, but the Lord said, No way. Josiah, practice all the righteousness you want to practice. Judah must go in captivity. 
there's no remedy for it. You see, but not even the faithfulness of Zaya could undo the evil that was done by both King Ahaz and King Manasseh. Now, it was this state of things that brought Jeremiah into the center stage. He was to be the mouthpiece of God at a time of the greatest apostasy of the children of Judah. Remember that at this time, the northern kingdom of Israel was already destroyed. It was only Judah that was left. God had already taken them away, the northern kingdom. Since the days of Hezekiah, that happened. God was now to use Jeremiah to make a final appeal to a generation on the verge of destruction. Then we now see Jeremiah. In the book of Jeremiah 1 verse 1 to 3, it says, The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, of the priests that were in Anathoth, in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign. It came also in the days of Jehoiakim, and the son of Josiah, king of Judah, unto the end of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, unto the carrying away of Jerusalem captive in the fifth month. Then the word of the Lord came unto me, that's Jeremiah, saying, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Then said I, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a child. But the Lord said unto me, Say not, I am a child. For thou shalt go to all that I shall send thee, and whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. Be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said unto me, Behold, I have put my words to in thy mouth. See, I have this day set thee over the nations, over the kingdoms, to root out and to pull down, and to destroy and to throw down, to build and to plant. Amen. So, there was hope for Israel because God did not tell Jeremiah to speak doom and gloom alone, but he told him, you are going to pull down, you are going to destroy, but you also build and you also plant. Like we read in Conflict and Courage, page 237, paragraph 3. In the youthful Jeremiah, God saw one who would be true to his trust and who would stand for the right against great opposition. Say not, I am a child, the Lord bade his chosen messenger, for thou shalt go to all that I send thee. Amen. End of quote. You see, when the Lord calls us for a responsibility, let us depend on him to give us the grace for the work. It is important to be as self-distrustful as Jeremiah was. But then, let this self-distrust lead us to be dependent on God. To ministers, fathers, mothers, husbands, wives, whoever is given a place of responsibility, you can say, I am but a child. But after saying that, pray to God to give you the needed wisdom, strength and grace to do the work that God has given to you faithfully. Since the days that God called Israel out of Egypt to possess Canaan for a holy commission, to be a light to all other nations, Israel had rebelled against God, and for many years God had borne long with them. Israel was the one that's the northern kingdom that was first given up, and now Judah was to be punished for their transgression. To give the startling denunciation, Jeremiah was selected for the job. In Jeremiah 1 verse 14 to 6 to 18, God told him that he has made him a defense city upon an iron pillar and an iron pillar 
and brazen wars against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, against the princes thereof, against the priests thereof, and against the people of the land. You see, like we have seen, the state of Israel in the days of King Ahaz down to the days of Jeremiah had a striking resemblance to our day. The Christian world has so united with the world that there is hardly any difference. Now, God needs a mouthpiece today like he did with Jeremiah. And the character qualities needed for this job is clearly stated to us. Like we read in Jeremiah 1, reading from verse 14 to 16. God needs people who are true to duty as a needle to the pole. God wants people who will do the duty without looking at anybody's face. That's what he told Jeremiah. Do not look at their faces. That's what he said. Verse 17. Thou therefore gird up thy loins and arise and speak unto them. All that I command thee, be not dismayed at their faces, lest I confound thee before them. And what was it that the Lord wanted Jeremiah to tell them? Oh, it's the same thing that he wants to tell us today. Now let us listen. I cannot go through everything in the book of Jeremiah, but if there is one book of the prophets that we need to read and understand in real time what is happening to us so that we will know what how God sees us, read the book of Jeremiah. Do you want to know how God sees the Christian world today? Just read the book of Jeremiah because that's where we are. From beginning to end, the Lord was speaking his words to them, telling them how they had forsaken him just as we have forsaken him today. And if you tell people they've forsaken him, of course, the same response they give to Jeremiah is the same that they will give to, to God today. What did God say? Jeremiah 2, reading from verse 2, God said to Jeremiah, Go and cry in the ears of Jerusalem, saying, Thus saith the Lord, I remember thee, the kindness of thy youth. The love of thine espousals, when thou wentest after me in the wilderness, in a land that was not sown, Israel was holiness unto the Lord, and the first fruits of his increase, all that devour him shall offend, evil shall come upon them, saith the Lord. Hear ye the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the families of the house of Israel. Thus saith the Lord, What iniquity have your fathers found in me, that they are gone far from me, and have walked after vanity, and have become vain? The priest said not, Where is the Lord? And they that handled the law knew me not. The pastors also transgressed against me, and the prophets prophesied by Baal, and walked after things that do not profit. Now hear this. This is verse 9, down to 13. Wherefore I will yet plead with you, saith the Lord, and with your children's children will I plead. For pass over the isles of Chittim, and see and send unto Kedar, and consider diligently, and see if there be such a thing. Have the nation changed their gods which are yet no gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which doth not profit. Be astonished, O ye heavens, at this, and be horribly afraid. Be ye very desolate, saith the Lord, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and have hewed themselves cisterns, hewed, out, hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Do you know that this is what we are doing today in Christendom? God said, go and check diligently. Check every nation. Have they forsaken their gods? But look at Christianity. Check every religion. The Hindus still worship the Hindu gods. The Muslims, the same thing. The Buddhists, the same thing. But what is happening in Christianity? By adopting practices that pertain to other religions, we are changing our gods to something that does not profit. 
Here, the question that the Lord asks in verse 11 of Jeremiah 2, Have a nation changed their gods which are yet no gods? Go and check, have they? No, the answer is no, they have not. But God says, My people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. What is the change being referred to here? What does it mean to change gods? Let us be very clear on what this means. It is not about changing the name of the God that we worship. You can keep saying Elohim, Adonai, Jehovah, God, Jesus, all you want. That's not what God is referring to here. It is about changing the practices. Every God has their practice and based on the practice adopted by a people, we know who their God is. We have changed our practice, our beliefs, our doctrines, our laws. This is where the problem is. And Isaiah had prophesied long ago about this in the book of Isaiah 24 verse 5. He says they have changed the ordinances, the commandments, the laws. Therefore, the Lord is coming to destroy. We have changed our day of worship, for example, a practice. God said, remember the Sabbath day, the seventh day. But now it's the first day. The doctrines, the beliefs, the practices, they've changed. The Bible teaches that the dead are dead, but what? We have adopted the beliefs of other gods that believe, oh, that the dead do not really die. They are sent to a certain heaven or a certain hell to burn there or having communications with evil spirits, talking about queen of heaven. Where do all this come from? It came from other religions. The Lord continued to speak to the children of Israel through Jeremiah in verse 18 and 19 he says and now what hast thou to do in the way of egypt to drink the waters of sihor or what hast thou to do in the way of assyria to drink the waters of the river thine own wickedness shall correct thee what, what is the lord referring to here as the way of syria and the water as that's the way of assyria and the waters or the river there it is exactly what i have been saying it is copying the method of worship of these nations and bringing them to god's service let us go back to Ahaz's story, King Ahaz, to understand what it means when God was saying through Jeremiah, this is a problem I have with you. You are going to drink the waters of Assyria. What does that, what does that mean? Let's go back. King Ahaz, 2 Kings chapter 16, verse 10. Remember that King Ahaz had appealed to Tiglath Pilasar, king of Assyria, to come and help him. Something else happened. Let us look at it. It says, verse, chapter 16, verse 10, 2 Kings. And Ahaz went to Damascus to meet Tiglath Pileser, king of Assyria, and saw an altar that was at Damascus. And King Ahaz sent to Urijah the priest the fashion of the altar and the pattern of it, and according to all the workmanship thereof. And Urijah the priest built an altar according to all that King Ahaz had sent from Damascus. So Urijah the priest made it against King Ahaz came from Damascus. And when the king was come from Damascus, the king saw the altar and the king approached the altar and offered thereon. Do you remember what we read before that he said, oh, because the gods of the Syrians are saving them, I will also worship their gods. This is exactly what he did. Two things here, not just the Syrians, but the Assyrians. And that's why Jeremiah said in the book of Jeremiah 2 verse 18, now what has thou to do in the way of Egypt to drink the waters of Sihor, or what has thou to do in the way of Assyria to drink the waters of the river? Who was it he met here? He met the Assyrian king, but where? In Damascus, that is after that is in Syria, after Tiglath Pileser had conquered Syria. And he took the altar that was there and brought it to Israel. Reading from 
verse 14 now, still on Second Kings chapter 16. He says, He brought also the brazen altar, which was before the Lord, from the forefront of the house, from between the altar and the house of the Lord, and put it on the north side of the altar. And King Ahaz commanded Urijah the priest, saying, Upon the great altar burn the morning burnt offering and the evening meat offering. And the king burnt us. And the king's burnt sacrifice and his meat offering with the burnt offering and all offerings. He was just telling him, burn it on this particular altar that you have made that I copied from Damascus from the king of Assyria. Thus did Urijah the priest according to all that the king commanded. And king Ahaz cut off the borders of the bases and removed the lava from off them. That is the original style of altar that the Lord had put in the temple. He removed it and brought another one copied from Assyria. This is what Jeremiah was referring to when he said, What hast thou to do in the way of Assyria? Who was Ahaz worshipping here? And where was the worship taking place? Listen, he was worshipping where? In Jerusalem, in the temple, the headquarters, and was also claiming to be worshipping who? The God of heaven. But what style was adopted here? The Assyrian style found in Damascus, the land of the Syrians. But just like Israel before, many today will refuse to accept that they are serving other gods and have departed from Jesus by adopting worldly customs and practices because that's exactly what King Ahaz did. Where was his location for worship? It was still in the church, the church of God. Who did he claim to be worshipping? It was still God. Who were the priests? It was still Israelites, Judah, priests from Judah. Nothing had changed except the fashion, the style of the altar and the practices that were done. That was what was changing. Today, that is the same thing that's happening. But many will refuse to accept that they are serving other gods. They will say, I am not polluted. But God says to them, what can be done to make Christians understand that they have forsaken God? When they look at the world and bring their songs, their worship services, their altars, their practices, beliefs and doctrines into the house of God, now we are hearing that there is something called Christian yoga. Is yoga for Christians? No. Now, they sanctify it, Christian yoga. Then they bring the songs of the world into the church. They go and copy the way the concerts are done in the Grammy Awards and the Emmy Awards and the parties of the world. Bring all the decorations, the way they fashion the things there. They bring the same kind of decorations into the house of God. No sacredness. It is just making the church of God to look like a place for party. The lights, the same thing. Oh, the decoration, the same thing. And the altar, oh, the same thing. The style of worship, the same thing. Then even the practice now, the same thing. The dress, the same thing. This is what King Ahaz did. And God was trying to plead with Israel through Jeremiah, saying, You have forsaken me. But many will keep doing these things and will continue to defend themselves like ancient Israel, that they have done nothing wrong. Jeremiah, God's mouthpiece, speaks to such people today. Reading from verse 23, he says, How can thou say I am not polluted, that I have not gone after Baalim? See thy way in the valley. Know what thou hast done. Thou art a swift dromedary, traversing her ways, a wild ass used to the wilderness that snuffeth up the, wild, the wind at her pleasure, in her occasion, who can turn her away. All they that seek her will not weary themselves in her months, they shall find her. And in verse verse 35, he says, Yet thou seest, because I am innocent, surely his anger shall turn from me. Behold, I will plead with thee, because thou seest I have not sinned. Why gathest thou about so much to change thy way? Thou also shalt be ashamed of Egypt, as thou was ashamed of Assyria. Yea, thou shalt go forth from him, and thine hands upon thy head. What happened in the days of Jeremiah is repeating itself today. Tell the people 
there is a sin in what you are doing in bringing these things into the church in your individual life by doing the same things the world are, the world is doing like i used to say in previous devotions but many of them i don't see anything there i have not sinned i am innocent i have not sinned that's what they keep saying and that's what judah the people of judah were saying i have not sinned i am innocent that's what they kept on saying but the lord was trying to convince them but they would not listen you see even the people of the past you see the the people who were the epitome of worldliness in the 60s, the 40s, and the 50s, May West, Meryl Monroe, Frank Sinatra, even Phil the Hugh Hefner of Playboy, they will look at our generation and condemn it because even they will not go as far as we go in doing evil. Even the dress of these wood people I just called now was even far better than what many are doing today when they go to the churches and yet they will say, I have not sinned. In love, we must also plead like Jeremiah, being God's mouthpiece. Today, people are changing their gods. It can never be that any religion changes its god by adopting practices from other religions, but Christians today are represented as harlots and adulterers that love to taste what it is like to be in bed with another person. The Lord said in the book of Isaiah 54 verse 5, For thy maker is thine husband, and the Lord of hosts is his name. God sees us as his wife. So when we go following other practices, we are having other gods, and we are guilty of adultery. Jeremiah 3 verse 29, the Lord said, Surely as a wife treacherously departed from her husband, so have you dealt treacherously with me, O house of Israel, saith the Lord. A voice was heard in the high places, weeping and supplication of the children of Israel, for they have perverted their way and they have forgotten the Lord their God. And the Lord pleads with us, return, you backsliding children, and I will heal your backslidings. Behold, we come unto thee, for thou art the Lord our God. How does the Lord view this backsliding taking place among Christians? Recently, I was somebody showed me something and i was trying to explain look this is worldliness you know the movie called sister act chapter one part one part two where i mean this person couldn't understand that the music they were playing there for example i will follow him follow him wherever he may go and the person had no idea that this song was a worldly song or even the other song that says nothing you can do to take me away from my God. That's what the song is sister act. These were worldly songs. And if you go and watch the videos of these worldly songs in the past, you will see that even those people, they dare not even dress the way people are dressing to church today, as worldly as they were. And that's why I said, this is a backsliding among Christians today. Look, take it or leave it. We have backsliding. We are far from what we ought to be. We are just like the children of Judah in the days of Jeremiah. And how does God view our backsliding? Jeremiah 5, reading from verse 7, the Lord says, How shall I pardon thee for this? Thy children have forsaken me and sworn by them that are no gods. When I had fed them to the full, then they committed adultery and assembled themselves by troops in harlot houses. You can look at it as the spiritual adultery. And God says in verse 9, Shall I not visit for these things, saith the Lord? And shall not my soul be avenged on such a nation as this? Go ye up upon her walls and destroy, but make not a full end. Take away the her battlements, for they are not the Lord's. For the house of Israel and the house of Judah have dealt very treacherously against me, saith the Lord. 
you can go and read the book of Jeremiah yourself to listen to hear everything what the Lord was saying in complaint against the children of Israel and Judah and it is the same we can see in our own selves today as Christians the Lord has a small remnant today yes who are following him but the vast majority of Christians are no different from the world at best they just take only two steps back but they follow the world gradually they may not be exactly as they are but they are the, the Christian world today compare it with the world of the 1960s and 40s and you will see that the world of the 1960s 1940s and 30s oh they are more righteous than many Christians today far more in their practices they will not dare to do many things that people are doing today you see time was ticking for Judah and time is ticking for us too the Christian world is fast becoming like the children of Judah and if the apostasy is not general at least it is very common and widespread, almost universal. Only a small remnant will listen. The rest will go away into destruction. It is left with us to choose where we belong in this matter. What did God want from the children of Judah? It is the same thing he wants from us today. Jeremiah 3, reading from verse 12 says, Go and proclaim these words towards the north and say, Return, thou backsliding Israel, thou backsliding Christian, return, saith the Lord, and I will not cause mine anger to fall upon you, for I am merciful, saith the Lord, and I will not keep anger forever. Only, do you hear this? This is just what God wants from us. Only acknowledge thine iniquity, that thou hast transgressed against the Lord thy God, and hast scattered thy ways to the strangers under every green tree. And you have not obeyed my voice, said the Lord. Turn, O backsliding children, said the Lord, for I am married unto you, and I will take you, one of a city and two of a family, and I will bring you to Zion. And I will give you pastors according to my heart, which shall feed you with knowledge and understanding. And it shall come to pass, when you be multiplied and increased in the land in those days, said the Lord, they shall say no more, the ark of the covenant of the Lord, neither shall it come to mind, neither shall they remember it, neither shall they visit it, neither shall that be done any more. At that time they shall call Jerusalem the throne of the Lord, and all the nations shall be gathered unto it, to the name of the Lord, to Jerusalem, neither shall they walk any more after the imagination of their evil heart. In those days the house of Judah shall walk with the house of Israel, and they shall come together out of the land of the north to the land that I have given for an inheritance unto your fathers. Amen. What does the Lord want from us? Only acknowledge our iniquities that we have transgressed. When you are convinced, when you are being shown from the word of God, do you try to justify yourself when you are being shown that you are sinning against him in your dress, in your, your, your pleasures, what you use for your amusement, in enjoying the pleasures of this world like I would spell them out like I used to, in sitting down to listen to those musics and watch them and watch those movies and derive pleasure from those things, in lying, in stealing, in, in cheating, in involving yourself in politics in breaking the sabbath only acknowledge that you have transgressed that's what the lord is saying and then he wants to heal our backslidings all of us we have transgressed i'm not even excluding myself by any means the lord is seeing our iniquities and is speaking to us like jeremiah spoke in the past and saying to us only acknowledge thine iniquity that thou hast transgressed 
are against the Lord thy God and has scattered thy ways to the strangers under every green tree. For me, I choose to acknowledge my sins and I pray that you will do the same. If we keep justifying ourselves, saying we have not sinned, we have not sinned, my hands are clean, I'm innocent, the temple of the Lord are we, we will come to the same end as Judah. But if we acknowledge our sins and turn from them, there is hope, whether it is little or great, but there is hope for us. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we acknowledge our sins and our iniquity that we have turned away from you. Worldliness is deep in our blood. We love the things the world loves and we do not find the things of God palatable. We have not loved you like we should. Please, Lord, heal our backslidings. Forgive us our sins in that we have followed after the world in loving what they love, behaving like them, practicing the same things they practice and deriving pleasure just like them in the things that they find pleasure in. And we do not find pleasure in your word. Please, Lord, forgive us for these things and heal our backslidings. Of our own selves, Lord, we have gone, some of us, too far. We don't even have strength and resolve of our own to change our ways. Please, Lord, help us to change and give us grace to overcome our own iniquities. Thank you, Lord, for hearing and thank you for answering our prayers. In Jesus' name I've prayed. Amen.